So there was this one time whenever I was doing my, what's called an FTP test on the Peloton. All right, so FTP is your functional threshold power. And to get your FTP calculation, you have to do a 20-minute ride all out as hard as you can so that you go, you push it as hard as you can, whatever the highest level of wattage output you can you can uh, put out for uh, 20 minutes. That's what you got to do to get your FTP test. It's awful. It is torture. I hate it. It's kind of like if you've ever done a VO2 max test where you go all out as hard as you can for eight minutes to to test your, your VO2 max. It's the same thing. It's just absolutely grueling. And I can't stand it. I hate it. And one day, I'm going through my FTP test, and I really think I'm going to be able to break through my personal best. And it's a big deal because if you get to a higher level, that means all of your metrics, they all reset. And so every ride that I'm going to do going forward after this is going to be set higher. It just It's a, it's a very quantifiable um, measure that, in fact, I have improved in my ability as on the Peloton. And that's any big deal. But that's what I was doing at the time. And I remember as I reached like the final four-minute stretch, and in my mind, that's how I kind of break it down is in these four-minute intervals. There's five four-minute intervals of the 20 that it's now kind of mentally broken it down to. And I'm heading into the final, and I am just dying. My legs are on fire. My legs are on fire, but I don't want to stop. And all of a sudden, it was unbelievable. I look over, and I see. Ben Greenfield, uh, David Goggins, and Peter Atia. They're all right there watching. And I'm like, oh my, you've got to be kidding me. And so I'm riding and I'm riding and I'm just, I'm like, there is no way I'm not going to crush this ride in front of three guys that I look up to. I read their books. I listen to them. I read their blogs. I mean, and I know the things that they've done, how hard they push themselves. The reason why they're successful is because of how hard they work, how much they, I mean, they just, these are the overachievers, overachiever, right? I mean, and so I'm like, I have to just crush this. Well, then I look over and Rylan and Abby are sitting there watching as well. And I'm like, my daughters. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I really, I can't blow this in front of Rylan and Abby. So I've got Rylan, Abby, my two daughters. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, Jimlin shows up. I've got my wife there. And lo and behold, <clears throat> I've, got, I'm, I've got this audience I'm watching me do my F, FTP test. And I'm like, I can't let any of these people down. This is, this is, <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? And especially, I mean, David Goggins is sitting there looking at me. And I'm like, I'm like, there is no way that I am going to let up on this. It's a freaking Peloton bike, and I'm in my garage. Oh, yeah, did I mention I was in my garage? Yeah. You're probably wondering what in the world David Goggins, Ben Greenfield, and Peter Atia were doing in my garage. Now, Rylan, Abby, and Jimlin, you could probably understand that a little bit more. Maybe I told them I was going to do this, but why were the other three there? Well, they weren't. They were in my mind. But let me tell you something. And this is the honest to God's truth. As I was finishing that ride, about to die gasping for air, the thought of having an audience with Peter Tia, Ben Greenfield, and David Goggins, my wife and my children, pushed me to hit an all-time high on my functional threshold power, 
Why? Because mentally, I was aspiring to, one, not let my family down, and then, two, live up to the standards that three individuals who I admire for different reasons completely, I didn't want to let them down. For that moment, those three guys were in my garage. It was so weird. I manifest them in my mind to push me through. And that may sound so cheesy and weird and goofy, but let me tell you something. This is what I'm going to be talking about today. The power of surrounding yourself both physically as well as virtually with a personal, very, very carefully curated board of directors, virtual mentors, whatever you want to call it. It's moments like these whenever these individuals can give you inspiration because you're asking more of yourself and you've got to have a benchmark. To say that you want to be better, that you want to improve, that you want to do more than what you've done in the past, you have to set a standard. Now, here's the thing. There's also a caveat to this. It's not about being as tough as David Goggins. It's not about being as disciplined, hardworking, and brilliant in the field of medicine as Peter Atia. It's not about being a uh, a triathlete and just an, an overall unbelievable fitness guru and practitioner like Ben Greenfield. But they, they can give you kind of a benchmark as to where you're going, kind of what you want to pursue. But really all you're trying to do is you're looking at them to become better than the you that you were yesterday and the day before. And so today I want to talk about the value of having virtual mentors as well as real mentors. So one time it was back in, gosh, about the year 2000, I suppose, I went to do some phone banking um, at a um, at a guy's house in River Oaks in Houston, Texas, and we became friends through that. And he was significantly older than me; he was a very um, a very uh, good attorney in, in Houston. And he turned out to be one of my mentors uh, throughout. I, I established a friendship with him, and throughout the rest of my career, anytime I was about to make a move. <clears throat> as a, a job move, a, an investment, or I needed a door open that I couldn't quite crack. This individual has always been someone who has steered me in the right direction and has been a been a voice of reason to help me to not make really, um, I guess, impulsive decisions and also to give me that impulse I needed to push me to say, yeah, this is a good idea. From, from my years of wisdom. I've been on this earth longer than you. I've seen more days than you. I've seen more instances than you. I've been around longer than you. And based on what I've seen, I think you should do this. We all need to surround ourselves with people that we look up to, that we value, whether it's because of their success, their character, their discipline. There's got to be something in, and it doesn't need to be in just one area. In fact, I highly encourage you to look at your mentors as like as like a baseball team. You know, you don't want to only have unbelievable ace pitchers on your baseball team, right? You need a good right fielder, center fielder, first baseman. You need good on-base hitters. You need power hitters. You need it all. It's the same thing whenever you're developing and curating your own personal mentors, be it virtual or physical. And 
what this will allow you to do is not get hung up on someone's faults. I think it's really, uh, it's really limiting if we only allow our personal mentors and the people that we look to to fit our our worldview to live a life that's exactly the way we live our life. No, find the thing that they have that they have done where they've exuded excellence in an area that you want to develop. This is something that that can allow you to maybe not overlook someone that you know, don't don't let that speck of dust get in your eye when you've got a plank in your own, right? <laughs> uh, don't don't be so harsh to judge. For example, I mean, I hear people all the time when they're mentioning David Goggins. David Goggins cusses like a sailor. All of his videos, he's yelling and cussing, you know, and that's a turnoff to some people. I get that. But you know what? I don't look up to David Goggins because of his language. I look up to him. And what I, the, the, the thing I want to develop within myself that David Goggins has is toughness and mental perseverance. And so whenever I'm looking at these people that are mentors, then it's not just about them being perfect and checking every box. It's checking the box that I'm trying to develop within myself. They've got that box checked. How can I learn from them? What are some things I can do? And here's the amazing thing that we all have these days. We have at our disposal the ability to go and listen to what they would do, to what they would say, how they would handle situations. I was watching today whenever I was doing some uh, prep for this episode I was listening to an episode of CNBC where they were covering the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, and they were interviewing Charlie Munger, 99-year-old Charlie Munger, the legendary investor and partner of uh, Warren Buffett. And I thought, this is amazing. I can actually have insight, unfiltered insight to one of the smartest investors of all time. Imagine if you'd been able to just go onto your phone and pull up an interview on YouTube with JP Morgan, John D. Rockefeller, Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, it's unbelievable the wisdom that is just sitting out there for the taking. That is one thing that we are not in a limited supply of, which is wisdom and lessons from the past. There, It's out there in abundance, but you have to go and curate and bring it to yourself and put it to use. So Tony Robbins is probably the ultimate self-improvement uh, guru, whatever. I know he's he's not a motivational speaker. That is doing such a disservice to what Tony Robbins is. This guy is a lay psychologist. He is a lay clinical psychologist. I mean, the guy just is not credentialed, but I guarantee you, given the choice between going to a, a, a doctor in clinical psychology versus Tony Robbins, I'd probably choose Tony Robbins. I think the guy's kind of proven himself, right? Okay. Here's why I say that. Do you realize that most everything that Tony Robbins, I don't want to say most, but a great deal of what he says, the way he does his, uh, when he when he writes, he speaks, the ideas that are underlying a lot of his message comes from a mentor. It was Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn was the Tony Robbins before there was a Tony Robbins. He's in, he was after Napoleon Hill and some of those guys, but he is a legend in the self-improvement goal setting space. And a lot of what Tony Robbins does and says comes from him. 
as well as Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar is someone that nearly every single person that you ever hear give you any kind of motivation or these cool quotes that they use and stories and anecdotes, they came from somebody like a Jim Rohn, a Zig Ziglar, a Napoleon Hill. All of these people, what they have done, they have looked towards those that have gone before them and developed their own personal board of directors and mentors. They've they've gathered, they've gone out like, like an Easter egg hunt and gathered all this wisdom. Well, that's what we should all be willing to do. Why would you and I ever limit ourselves just to our own personal knowledge when we can go tap into some of the greatest minds that have ever lived? Seth Godin once said that he believes, he was on the Tim Ferriss show, and Tim asked him about technology and his what he considered the greatest technology that had ever been uh, developed or created in his in his lifetime. And Seth said, you know, I think that the answer to that question would have to be a book. He said, Think about this for a moment. He said, you can literally go for sometimes less than 10 bucks and purchase the entire life's work of some of the greatest minds that have ever existed. That's remarkable. That's absolutely remarkable. Uh, reading Walter Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs, you can just go grab that. You can grab that at half price books now for probably around 10 bucks. And you can gain insight into one of the greatest thinkers and marketers that has ever lived. So let's say that you want to put Steve Jobs on your board of directors. Go for it. What about Bill Campbell, the Trillion Dollar Coach? So Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, he wrote a book called The Trillion Dollar Coach about Bill Campbell, who was the executive coach to Eric Schmidt, um, John Chambers, the former CEO of Cisco, uh, Steve Jobs, a lot of the greatest tech entrepreneurs that have ever lived look to the coaching of Bill Campbell. You can go read Eric Schmidt's book about Bill Campbell and gain some of his wisdom. Is it the same as getting to sit down with Bill Campbell? No, but it's still pretty flipping awesome and then like i know whenever i read that book i then went back and i'd started youtubing as many interviews as i could get from bill campbell and what it taught me was about his personality and the kind of guy he was and the kind of character he was and whenever i started doing some executive coaching it helped me to to format my own delivery and my own style to how i would approach these ceos and and entrepreneurs and how it helped to coach and develop them by learning from one of the greatest that's ever lived that's what we have. Tom Brady. I know that people love to hate on Tom Brady, but I, there's one thing I know about Tom Brady that is universally understood and respected. You may not like him, but most people that you talk to know about the legendary discipline of Tom Brady. When I see how Tom, Tom Brady practices discipline, for example, in his nutrition, then that gives me something to aspire to. It's a real-life example, and that's what we all need. It's not being a sycophant. It's about just looking at those that have gone before us to show us that we're not trying to do something that's never been done. We're not trying to be superhuman. What we're trying to do is to emulate a characteristic or a behavior of someone that has actually done it before in, a, in an effort to make ourselves more like that, in that discipline, not so much like the person. Uh, the famous Stoic philosopher, philosopher Seneca once said this when it came to choosing mentors. He said, choose someone whose way of life as well as words and whose very face 
as mirroring the character that lies behind it have won your approval. So whenever you're asking yourself, well, okay, how do I decide who I would like to have on my personal board of directors, which I think it was, uh, I know Jim Collins put together, he's one of the most recent memory guys that put together his own personal board of directors. You know, Jim Collins, his company is only, I think he's got three employees, one of the greatest management consultants of all time. I mean, of the of the last two centuries, you got Peter Drucker and Jim Collins. And Jim Collins, I think, was one of the ones that really made this idea of having your own personal directors, not just a public or a company board of directors. He made this popular. But also, I think it was Napoleon Hill uh, that actually – it was either him or Norman Vincent Peale, one of the two of them, and I want to say it was Napoleon Hill, that he describes how he had his own personal board of directors. And it included guys like Abraham Lincoln and people like that. I mean, you, we have the ability to do that. So when you're thinking about how to curate your own personal board of directors, then it's imperative that you think to yourself, who is someone that I currently look to that there's something about them that they have that I want? I don't mean material things. I mean the way they live their life, the way they make their decisions, the success that they've had, What has? why do you admire them? I have uh, I have an example of um, what like one of the guys. It's a a real a, a real life friend and uh, and actually a listener to this show. So I'm happy to uh, to give this example. Is my buddy Jason Smith. Jason Smith, as a Christian, is one of my one of my guys that I that would definitely be on my personal board of directors and has been on my personal board of directors both as a friend and as a as someone who I've gone I've walked through many trials with including a near death experience in China on a mission trip but more than anything Jason is I think the epitome of a disciple he's someone who is bold and focused on bringing people to the gospel that's that's what he likes to do and so there is someone he fits that that mold for me is like whenever I'm looking at somebody that I want to make sure that that causes me to stretch myself on being bold in my discipleship, there you go. It's Jason Smith. I once worked for a guy named David Wise, and David is the uh, co-founder and co-CEO of a company called – it used to be called Mind Wireless. Now I think it's just called Mind. And I remember working for David, and he it was so hard to work for David. The reason why is because David had very high expectations, and he was such a taskmaster of himself. Everything, he, he would do the smallest of tasks with great detail, great precision, and I was never, and I'm still not to this day, anywhere re- remotely close to as good of a, and taskmaster is the best way I can think of, and it sounds bad, but I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, he just, he knew how to master the little tasks better than anybody I've ever met. And he caused me to expect more and demand more of my own performance that I took throughout my career and other things. I mean, he made me better in that area. That's somebody that I would say I would want on my personal board of directors. You know, I think you need to find people that you know are, are so hard and so disciplined that if you were to have to write a paper for them, that you would almost be afraid to give it to them because you know that they are someone that is just, they have such an attention to detail. They're such a high performer. They're such a good thinker. They question and criticize every single detail. That's a person that should be on your board of directors because what they're going to do is they're going to hold you accountable. 
And if they're virtual, they can be like Peter, Ben, and David in my garage. It can be somebody that whenever you are, if you've got the vision of this person in mind, then whenever you're having to create a task at work, then you think to yourself, if I was handing this off to fill in the blank, what would he or she think? Uh, There's a famous story where this staffer that worked for Henry Kissinger, he was given the task of writing up some report or something like that for Kissinger, and he, he wrote it up, took it to Kissinger, and Kissinger said, before he took it, he said, is this, no, excuse me, I botched that a little bit. He sent it to Kissinger, and then Kissinger sent it back to him with a note on it. Is this the best you can do? The guy gets the the report, and he does some tweaking or whatever, and says, okay, sending it back, sends it back to Kissinger. Kissinger then sends it back again with the note. Is this the best you can do? This guy's confidence is getting shattered, and but he's like, he bears down, and he's like, okay. I know I can do better, gets the report done, sends it back to Kissinger. Kissinger sends it back to him again. Is this the best you can do? The staffer is furious. He's like, I cannot believe this. This is ridiculous. I have put everything into this. I have, this is now the third time I have redone this. This is absolutely, I, I can't make this any better. So all I'm going to do is say, yes, Mr. Kissinger, this is the best I can do. And Kissinger said, good, then I shall read it. <laughs> it was the first draft he had read. But what Kissinger wanted him to know was that he was not going to read anything less than the best. And what this did for that staffer for the rest of his life, who still tells this story, this is one of the most legendary stories of all time to come out of D.C., is, is that imagine what that did for that, that staffer. From then on, he thought about that moment where, man, what if I were writing this for someone like Henry Kissinger, who demands excellence, demands absolute precision of thought, of writing? Have those people that make you, just make you take your game to a higher level. It's like whenever you play tennis. If you play against somebody that sucks, your game's never getting better. If you play against somebody that you that you can dominate with ease, you will never get better. It's only when we play against someone that is better than us that our game rises. But you got to have that person on the other side of the net that's better than you, that you can look to, that you can learn from, to get your game to be better. So I cannot more highly encourage you to as you go through as we go into 2024 this would be a great thing to do to go into 2024 with your own personal board of directors and this can be two kinds like i said this can be physical and don't be afraid to start reaching out to people now there's a whole art to asking people to be your mentor usually if you just go to someone and say hey will you be my mentor you're going to get a big fat no i know i get this a lot uh and i'm 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 blessed by this i'm honored by this but whenever people come to me and say, you know, I'd really like for you to mentor me, um, I'm like, well, I'm not for hire, and no, I'm not going to do that. If someone calls and says, hey, I need some advice, would you, can I get on your calendar? 
Okay, that's a totally different deal. And if that conversation leads to a subsequent conversation and a subsequent conversation, it's kind of like court. It's a kind of like a courtship. If you mesh and there's chemistry there, you've got someone that's willing to listen to your advice, and you yourself, you believe in the mission that they've set out for themselves. Then then a mentor-mentee relationship can develop. And I would suggest that if you want to find that that personal board of directors that you admire right now, then go ask them for advice. Go find a way, and, and if you can, if there's any way possible, you know, because most people, if there's someone that you would like to have as a mentor, then that means that they're probably pretty busy. They're probably doing other things. Find a way to make it as easy as possible for them it can be sitting i've done this before i did this with Derek sivers that's how i created an episode of this podcast one time Derek sivers anyone on the other side of this microphone probably knows who Derek sivers is incredible he's the founder of cd baby now he's like a ted talk ninja great author he's kind of like a modern day yoda everybody loves i mean tim ferris everybody loves Derek sivers just a very good thinker well I had sent him an email, and he replied, and we were exchanging emails, and it was, he was just moving to a new home, and it was going to be hard for him to get on the show. I said, Derek, I want to make this easy for you. Or I'd say as I emailed him, I want to make this easy for you. Would you mind just answering these three short questions? And guess what? He did. And so what I did was I recorded his answers on a podcast. I told I don't remember the episode's pretty old. You can go back and check it out where I just, I talked about why I was asking him the questions and I I read his response to those questions and it turned out pretty cool. Okay. It made it easy for him. That's what you can do when you're trying to find a mentor is say, Hey, would you mind if I just shot you three questions? I did this here recently. I'm gathering some information on manhood and healthy masculinity and just kind of this, the, 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 the the endangered man as my as my buddy James Quandall famously coined in, in our little circle you know I and so I just created this little type form with three very simple questions and sent it out to some folks uh, some guys I admire and respect uh, to get them to respond and most every one of them have made it easy on them click a button answer these questions done don't even have to send an email back just fill out the type form submit so. Find these. And then when it comes to the virtual mentors, just look at people that you look up to. Look at people that have done incredible things, whether it's uh, maybe it's a podcast or maybe it's somebody like, you know, Andrew Huberman is, is blowing up right now. Okay. If you're someone who likes, to, wants to understand how to be a good, disciplined thinker and a clear thinker and goal setter, and you, you, you kind of have a, a penchant for neuroscience and you want to make yourself better in this regard, go, go see what Andrew Huberman's doing. Go find out, you know, if there's a pro athlete that you just think is just a baller and just is unbelievable, go find out what their discipline is. Why are they so good? Why, what makes them who they are? What are they like when they're not on the field? And put them into your virtual mentors and then go look at interviews they've done. Go find out how they think. And then whenever you're in a situation of, do I, do I do one more rep? Do I run one more mile? Do I, if I, if you're trying to, I don't know, improve your golf game? Do I go ahead and hit one more bucket of balls? Ask yourself, what would, I don't know, Rory do? I don't know many of the the new golfers. Um, 
What would Justin Spaeth do? What would Tiger do? What what would Arnie do? Uh, you know, what would that? What would my virtual mentor do if he were here? Would he say, "No, let's go home. Let's go have beers. You're done. You get you, you've done good enough." Or would he say, "Hell yeah, hit another bucket and put them just like I put those three men in my garage." with my wife and daughters watching me go through that silly FTP test, put them on that driving range with you and look at them. Imagine, conjure it up in your mind and ask them, Arnie, should I hit a few more putts? Arnie's probably going to say yes. Jack, freaking golden bear. Should I work on my stroke? I, mean, I got a little more daylight. Should I? You know what he's going to say? He's going to say, hell yes, you should. Why would you ever stop right now? It's having these 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 people even that you just conjure and it puts it it takes it from look if you're constantly relying on your own self discipline your own self talking your own self coaching you're selling yourself short here's one of the reasons why uh, Michael Gervais famous sports psychologist he once said that when it comes to self talk which is vitally important to your success I've talked about that on the show before it is incredibly vital to your success never ever underestimate the power of good, healthy self-talk, but it's important that you tell yourself you can do things and you have the artifacts in your history that prove that you can do the thing you're saying that you can do, okay? If if you're just giving yourself some kind of pep talk that you can do this, you can do anything, you know, whatever, but you have nothing in your history to prove that you can do the thing that you're gearing up for, it's just all platitude, hot air, it doesn't mean anything. You have to be able to prove to yourself that what you're saying you can do, you've done something maybe not as difficult, maybe not as challenging. You haven't persevered quite as much, but you need to have something to anchor that to, to go, okay, I know I can do this. I'm telling myself I can do this, whatever the challenge is before you. And the reason why I know I can is because I've done this other thing before. And because I've done that thing, I know I can do this. So practice positive self-talk. But if you don't have that, then instead of just coaching yourself based on your limited knowledge, then have others to look to. Have Create that pressure on yourself. And you know as well as I do. You know, we if if you were out there and you went to a uh, a SEAL training camp, and all of a sudden, Jocko Willink, Mark Devine, David Goggins, you know, Marcus Luttrell, all these Navy SEALs, they roll up, arms crossed, standing, watching you go through the obstacle course. Would you perform better in front of those guys that you admire, or just on a beach by yourself with some obstacle course you set up yourself? You know, the bottom line is. Very, very, very few people are ever going to push themselves as hard whenever it's just an audience unto themselves instead of having those people that we want to we want to live up to the standards that we admire. We admire those people for a reason because they've done great things that we would too like to do ourselves. So visualize them, put them on your board of directors, run questions by them. Figure out what if you if you're if you're someone that's an investor, go put Warren freaking Buffett on your board of directors and start asking Warren questions. Because what'll happen is if Warren is on your board of directors, you're not going to get on Warren Buffett's calendar. You're not going to have a conversation with Warren Buffett. I'm not going to have a conversation with Warren Buffett. I'm not going to get on Warren Buffett's calendar. <clears throat> it's not going to happen. 
But there are hours and hours and hours and hours and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of words that have been written and spoken by Warren Buffett there for the taking that we can go and we can. Now we've got chat GPT. What would Warren Buffett's response be to this investment dilemma? What would Warren Buffett, what would Charlie Munger say about this? What would Ray Dalio say? How would Ray Dalio handle this? Go put Ray Dalio on your investment board. Uh, it's just, there's never been a better time. And to me, this is just simply one of the best ways to make yourself better. I wish so much that in my early business career, that I would have practiced this and really made it a disciplined practice of having my own personal board of directors and and looking to that board for um, a, a many a great many decisions that I made that were less than stellar throughout my career. Uh, great example. I'll leave you with this one. I wish it is just telling on myself that I made this decision in a vacuum. I had a realtor at one of my real estate firms that was a great performer, high producer, top producer that I just thought I couldn't live without. The problem was this particular realtor was toxic to the entire organization. No other realtor wanted to be around this person. No, they didn't want to work with this person. And I could, it was stopping me from recruiting other agents as this realtor became more and more known in the real estate community that we operated in, uh, I would try to recruit some, I would try to recruit new agents and they simply would not come on board because they didn't want to work with this particular agent. And it cost me thousands and thousands of dollars by not letting this one agent go and letting 10 others come in. I wish I had had someone that I could have sat down and said, what would you do? What's your advice? Am I doing the right thing by being loyal to this person? But I didn't. I needed that. And there's been situation after situation where I just wish I would have had that visualization of someone else and how they lived their life. Someone that I admired that I could look to to go, if that person were in this situation right now, how would they react? I hope you find this beneficial. Go right to, go into 2024 with a list of your virtual, and go hit ups. Go go establish some relationship with some physical mentors. You'll be glad you did. And I can almost guarantee you that if you will do this, this will short circuit, this will turbo boost your ability to improve always in all ways. Thanks for listening. Well, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonwrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in all ways. I'm out. <laughs>